Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. Okay, so our theme this morning is love, specifically God's love. Not Hollywood's interpretation of love, but the Bible's definition of real love, God's love, his agape, agape self-sacrificing love. And uh, we could discuss God's love for eternity and probably not cover the subject adequately. So I know we won't be able to cover it over the next three hours that we're here, okay? What? Three hours? <laughs> no, no, no worries. I'll have you out here by two. What, what time's kickoff, Josiah? One? All right, well, let me know. <laughs> no kidding. Anyway, on the second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of love, we're going to look at, oh, that's better, look at some scripture from 1 John chapter 4 and from John's Gospel chapter 13. So, Father, open up your word to us now. Your word is life, and we need fresh manna this morning. So bring some fresh manna to us this morning. Yesterday's won't do. We want to hear from heaven. We, we need to hear from heaven this morning. So come and give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to this church this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, let's jump right in and look at what the apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And the rest of that verse reads, everyone who loves has been born of God and, and knows God. So it all begins with love, right? It has to begin with love. Because without love, we're just a loud, clanging symbol. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians. And he said, you know, if I can speak in a tongue of men and angels, if I can prophesy all things, if I can understand deep mysteries, if, if I have faith that moves mountains, and, and if I give everything I own to the poor, and I offer up my body to the flames, and, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. I gain nothing, right? It's just a loud, clanging symbol. In other words, it's just a loud, annoying noise without love. And I always like to use this one phrase about love. It's, it said uh, that love, uh, no, truth, okay, truth without love kills, right? I could hit you over the head all day with the truth of God's word, but if there's never any love in my heart for you, it's just going to kill your spirit, right? So truth without love kills, but on the other hand, love without truth lies. And I don't want to lie to you, and I don't want to kill you, and, and just uh, we have to speak the truth, but we have to speak it with love. So let's keep that in mind. But it has to begin with God's love. And sometimes I think we can overcomplicate spiritual matters. So just in case we ever forget this most basic but most essential fact of our faith, First John makes it really clear here. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. He's the source of love. He's the definition of love. In fact, God is love. That's what First John 4.16 tells us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. So it's all about abiding. Right? He's not just a, a loving God. It's not just one of his character traits. He is love. It's his very essence. It, it's who he is. And First John emphasizes that God's love is an action verb. It's not some abstract, touchy-feely kind of concept. It's passion 
being lived out through action, not just words. And God proved that by sending Jesus, God in the flesh, sending Jesus to live among us, to die for us so we could be completely forgiven of our sins and so we could spend eternity with him. Like Joe read, for God so loved the world. The world, not just the nice people, not just the Americans, not just the Republicans. God so loved the entire world so much that he gave, right? That's an action verb. He, he gave. God gave us his very best. He gave us Jesus. So how can we give him any less than our very best? After all, he's given us, and yet we do it all the time, don't we? We give him less than our best, and yet, man, he still loves us the same. It doesn't stop his love for us. That's because we're his beloved and his love for us doesn't depend on our performance. It doesn't depend on our worthiness. We don't have to get our act together first before God will love us. Isn't that good news? Because I'm still trying to get my act together. And God loves us right where we are. And we can come to him just as we are. And he helps us get our act together. He loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. Because God's plans for me are so much better than my plans for me. And God's plans for you are so much better than your plans for you. But we think we have some pretty good plans, don't we? I know I still do. But psst, his are better. His plans are better. Every one of them are better, whether we understand them or not. In this letter, First John tells us that the more we get to know God personally, the more we'll realize the reality of this amazing and unlimited love that he has for every one of us. Hey, there's nothing in our past or nothing in our present that shocks God. There's nothing that would cause him to love us any less than he loves the most holy and pure person you could think of. He's crazy about us. Look what he did for us. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And we can't do anything to make him love us any more than he does right this moment. And we can't do anything to cause him to love us any less than he loves us right at this moment. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And there's nothing in us that is so broken or so sinful or so dysfunctional that God is unwilling or unable to touch and heal and restore and renew. But we can't keep resisting him. We can't keep insisting on doing things our way instead of his and then wonder why, why isn't he answering our prayers? See, the more we're willing to open up our lives to the light and the love of God's presence, the more we will find that even our darkest secrets, even the ugliest parts of ourselves are not out of his reach. Because nothing can separate us from his love, right? His love is healing and it's life-giving and it's just too wonderful to keep to ourselves. You know, to really experience, to really experience and know God's love is to overflow with his love. We can't contain it. We overflow with it. So it touches the lives of those around us. We can't keep this stuff to ourselves. How can we possibly say we love God if, if we hate others or if we have bitterness or anger in our hearts towards others? Because God loves them too. He died for them too. He made them in his image too. So if we see ourselves as God's beloved children, then we must see our other brothers and sisters as his beloved children as well. And when we come to really know God's love, we realize 
man, we didn't do a thing to deserve it. Sure can't earn it. As Joe said, it's free. His love is absolutely free, but it's not cheap. It's costly. He gives it freely, but it's very costly. And he loves us unconditionally. And that's hard for us to comprehend because human nature tells us that there's conditions to love. I'll love you as long as you love me back. But if you stop loving me, I'm done. I'm out of here. Right? God's love isn't like that, is it? No, his love is without conditions, but it's not without requirements because he commands us to love one another. Not just the people we like or the people we get along with, not just the people who look like us and talk like us, and not just the people who believe the same things we believe. Dear friends, John writes, let us love one another because love comes from God. And because God's indwelling presence in the person of Holy Spirit lives in us, God's love lives, lives in us too. And we're here to demonstrate and to share his love with a cynical, critical, hurting, confused, angry, unbelieving world. But it's the world that desperately needs to know they're loved, right? We've been lied to. We've been manipulated. We've been deceived, abused, neglected. And we don't easily trust anyone anymore because the last time we did that, it backfired on us. And the pain was too much, and, and we don't want to set ourselves up for that again. So we, we begin to close our hearts, not just to people, but to God. Is this speaking to anyone? Some of, us, some of you know what I'm talking about. But as difficult as it may be, we are told to love one another, for love comes from God. In fact, we're commanded to do that. Jesus himself gives us a new commandment in John's gospel. But before we look at that, let, let me say something about loving others. Because you might say, yeah, that, that sounds good, Bob, but uh, you don't know the pain. I'm, you don't know what's happened to me, and I don't. And I realize that some of us have experienced some very painful things in our lives that were caused by other people. Well, let's face it, some relationships are just plain toxic. And it's healthier for us to end certain relationships and move on. And as hard as it may be, we need to come to that place where we can release that pain and that hurt and that anger, whatever it is, to God so he can heal our deep wounds and help us to forgive. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean what happened was okay because it wasn't. And God knows that. If anyone knows that, it's God. Look, look what they did to his son. And, and we need Holy Spirit power to forgive because we can't do it in our own strength. Believe me, I know I tried. It doesn't work. But with God, all things are possible, right? That's what Jesus said. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. He didn't say all things are easy, but he said all things are possible. So we can we can forgive others, but it doesn't mean we need to invite them over for dinner. Now, if you want to do that, God bless you. You're holier than I am. But uh, I, I just wanted to tell you that I'm not insensitive to whatever pain you may be experiencing or have experienced because I've experienced my own pain. And I know that God sees it all and he knows it all. And I know he's a healer and I know he's a restorer. I know that. 
He's the king of the cosmos. He, he's the creator of heaven and earth, but he's also a very personal creator. Right? And he's not too great to be bothered with my tiny life on this tiny planet. In fact, he's so great and he loves us so much that he can be bothered with every one of us individually. That should never cease to amaze us how he does that. But let's get back to this new commandment Jesus gives us. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34. This is the New Living Translation. Jesus tells us, so now, right now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, there's an Old Testament command in the book of Leviticus that reads, never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's that old command to love one another. And, but here in the New Testament, Jesus has given us a new commandment. Love each other, but with an added requirement. Just as, or in the same way, I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, I know it says you should love each other. In some translations, that verse reads, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You must. There's no should about it. Must love. As I have loved you, he's telling us, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? Suffered and died for us, right? Gave it all for us. That's hard to do for other people. See, to love others was not a new commandment, but to love others as much as Christ loves us, that's revolutionary. And he's telling us, love others based on his sacrificial love for us. And we can't do that in our own strength. And Jesus knows that. That's why he tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Nothing of any kingdom value. And he establishes the, the unity that we need with him in the parable of the vine and the branches in John 15, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. He says a branch can't produce fruit by itself. We know that, right? It must remain in the vine. Well, we can't produce any fruit by ourselves. We must remain in Christ. We can't love others by ourselves either, especially not just as Jesus has loved us. We've got to stay connected to, to our vine. If our branches are going to love other branches... We need to stay connected to our vine. Does that make sense? We're all branches, and Jesus is the vine, right? The branches in the parable are all parts of one whole. They're all parts of the vine, and you and I are all parts of our vine, Jesus. Now, if you're not part of Jesus, you need to change that, right? If you're not one of the branches, if you're off doing your own thing, you're not connected to the vine, you need to change that. Like I said, we celebrate his first advent and we prepare for his second advent. There won't be a third advent. So make sure you're ready. If you're not ready, talk to me before you leave today. But there's this unity of uh, oneness of the branches. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Oneness of the branches. They're all connected to the vine and connected to each other, being fed from the same source. And that's the only thing that makes it possible for us to be able to love each other just as 
or in the same way Christ has loved us. We can't do it without him. We need to remain in him as he remains in us. So we can see three things, I think, suggested by this verse about love. Number one, the obligation of love. Two, the sufficiency of love. And three, the pattern of love. Now, the obligation of love is an obligation simply because Christ commands us to it. And he has every right. And he has the authority to command us to it. I mean, he's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He has purchased us with his precious blood on the cross. He bought us and paid for us in full. We belong to him. So, so we have an obligation to love each other just as he has loved us because he commands us to do that. And you may think, I can't make you love me. You can't make me love you. So to see it's a commandment to love, it's almost like, uh, I, I, that, I struggle with how that fits, but he commands us to do that, and we're obligated to do that. And then there's the sufficiency of love. I mean, Jesus speaks elsewhere about keeping his commandments. He did so much teaching and things on command, but here, here in this verse we're looking at, he gathers them all up in this new commandment to love each other just as he has loved us. Everything is summed up into this one all-sufficient command to love. Isn't that beautiful? See, if our hearts are full of his love, everything else will be okay. But if our hearts are lacking his love, then nothing's going to be okay. And keep this in mind. When Jesus is giving this new commandment, his time's running out. Right? He knows his time here is short. And his main command to his disciples was, love one another just as I have loved you. He's thinking, man, if you guys get that, the rest will fall in place, right? And that's the pattern of love. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then he's saying, now you go and love like that. The Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves the Father. Jesus, in turn, loves his disciples. His disciples, in turn, love Jesus. And now Jesus is commanding his disciples, including every one of us, to love each other and to love each other the way he loves us. That's the pattern of love that Jesus established. And, and what will that prove? What will that prove? Well, Jesus tells us in that next verse, John 13, verse 35. Look at that verse. Jesus says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You hear that? Your love for one another will prove to the world, the world that's watching. You know, I see Christians arguing and different denominations fighting over this and that, and people look at that and say, well, these people are supposed to belong to the same club and they can't get along. Why would I want to be part of that? I get that because I used to think like that. He said, but your love for one another will, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It won't be our knowledge. And it won't be how eloquent we speak. It won't be how many degrees we have. It won't be how big our church is. It won't be how creative and cool our programs are. It'll be our love for one another. That's it. It'll be our love for one another. And Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. See, love is the magnet that draws people to Christ. 
And I hope and pray that love is the magnet that, that draws people to us because they can tell we love Jesus and that we love each other, right? Jesus says that's the proof. Not all this other stuff. Let's be those kind of people, okay? Let, let's love Jesus, number one. And let's love Jesus first and love each other. But let's love each other just as Jesus has loved us. That's hard. That's why we need to stay connected to the, to the vine. We can't do that in our own strength. By nature, we're selfish people. But if we can love Jesus and love each other as he has loved us, that'll be the proof that he talks about. Because we can't do without him. Let's pray. Please stand with me if you're able to. Remember, if you're able to Bring some of the food on that list out there by next Sunday. That'll, that'll help us fill these food baskets for the people in the apartments. Oh, Lord, here we are on this second Sunday of Advent, this Sunday of love. And like I said, love is such an abstract term to so many people. But we look and see what you call love. And you demonstrated your love for us. Your word says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing we would turn our backs on you, you still still put it all on the line so help us to love more like you we're, we're flawed people we, we we try in our own strength and we fail but lord you command us love one another just as i have loved you wow help us help us do that let that love be the magnet that draws people to you and draws people to us because they can see we love Jesus and we love each other. We need more of that. We need more of that in the church instead of all the division we see, Lord. A lot of people are skeptical. A lot of people are cynical and for right reasons, for good reasons. Let's change that, Lord. Start by changing me. Start by changing us. And, Lord, may we always realize the greatest symbol of love that there ever is is the cross, your cross. That symbolizes love greater than any object, any image, any gift, anything else we can do or say or give to somebody. The cross of Christ, the greatest symbol of love we'll ever know. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen.